0: You are listening to the School of the Future podcast by G.I.I.S. I'm Graham Brown, your host. In this series, we feature the G.I.I.S. community of teachers, parents, students and thought leaders from across the region to discuss the forces, opportunities and challenges that are shaping learning in the 21st century. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. This is episode four of the School of the Future podcast with Global Indian International Schools. Today, we're talking about entrepreneurship and innovation in education with Radha Ganesh. We're going to talk about why these skills are important, not just in school, but also life. the workplace. How do you teach entrepreneurship and innovation to students? How do you get them to make mistakes and think like an entrepreneur? They may not choose to become an entrepreneur, but how important that mindset is in the workplace? Because entrepreneurship is not a career choice, it's a skill set. How do you do that? We're going to talk about some of the programs here at GIIS that the students can get involved in, the workshops, the boot camps, and the hackathons, some of the exciting apps, business ideas that the students have developed here, including a self-watering plant, and get this, an AI-powered dengue protection kit. Think about that in the context of today. Pandemics, viruses, we've got a solution which has come from a grade 9 student. If you're interested, listening, coming up now on The School of the Future. We're back sitting in the recording studio here at Global Indian International Schools in Singapore. It's Graham here. And I'm looking forward to this conversation with my next guest, Radha Ganesh. Welcome to the studio. Thank you. We're going to talk about entrepreneurship Innovation in Education, we are going to learn a bit about your journey as well. You've yeah. got multidisciplinary approach. You've learned many things. You are a teacher here and a coordinator for the middle school who also knows how to code and teach <laughs> code to the students, as well as a mentor to the teens here at school. I'm interested how you got into this. You are a teacher by training. Where did that all start you were learning education in India. Tell us a little bit about the genesis of your journey, rather. Um,
1: yeah, I did my uh, graduation in uh, biology, actually. I'm trained in botany and zoology. But then I uh, took up computer science out of interest, so mm. I privately studied uh, coding. Then I, uh, I moved to Indonesia, actually, in 1996. I was there for 10 years and uh, i started uh, teaching computer science in a school in uh, indonesia mm. so i've had Where were you in indonesia? Uh, bandung.
0: Okay. Yeah, so it's just that was the second city outside of jakarta, right? Yeah. Okay.
1: That's a very beautiful yeah. quite nice place. So i was there almost 9 years. Mm. I was teaching in uh, uh, a school there, Nehru Memorial International School. I was teaching computer science, I took care of the IT lab and I handled students all the way from class 1 to 10.
0: Yeah. So you've had, I mean, you've had some interesting experiences as Mm -hmm. well, so contribute to this idea of entrepreneurship as well, Mm -hmm. I believe. And we'll get into this idea of what you teach here and entrepreneurship in the classes and so on, Mm -hmm. that really it's about stepping outside your comfort zone and taking risks and learning that you can take these risks and it's not fatal. And how important that is in the world of work as well. So even mm. living somewhere new mm. is like being an entrepreneur yeah, in many correct. sense. You're, you're having to learn everything yes. from like new languages new, to
1: language, new foods.
0: Yes, yes. Like where do I get fed on a daily basis? It's like almost starting a business in yeah. many respects. So you're in 10 years in Indonesia. Mm. Then you came to Singapore and you correct. studied a master's here in Singapore. Yes. And the master's was in?
1: Uh, information systems okay. from Nanyang Technological University.
0: Okay. So you… We're taught in coding. Yeah. You, all this time you're an educator, mm, a teacher. Yes, correct. Right. And you, you had a passion for coding as well. Yeah. Why didn't you go into the world of software development and take those skills into the corporate workplace and be uh, a full stack developer? Or yeah, when
1: I was in Indonesia, there wasn't much of an opportunity for me to go out and work as a, in, in the software field. Mm. And this gave me an opportunity. You know, the teaching gave me an opportunity to be in touch with my subject. As well as be with the students, I was a bit apprehensive initially when I started teaching i I wasn't sure whether I could you know gel with the students in a classroom and all that, but i I am very comfortable in a classroom now, yeah, so that's my my home. Your domain yes my domain thrive. yes
0: what's it like teaching coding to students i mean i have a son who has learned python mm-hmm. i know you teach python as yes, well yes and how do you teach that in a way that's engaging because it can be in very sort of dry context quite like teaching maths mm-hmm. it's just learning formulas or learning a language for example
1: yeah.
0: how do you approach that for example to make it engaging
1: uh uh-huh. See, we have practical and theory classes. So we start, introduce a concept in the classroom. Basically, you know, these are the loops and conditions and what they do and all that. And then they, we move to the IT lab where we actually try out the different codes. So when students type out their own logic there and then they see the result, they're very, very happy and they catch on to it very fast.
0: Mm. It requires a different mindset though, isn't it? Teaching coding and learning coding. Uh, yes. you, you can't sort of learn everything
1: Correct. and
0: then apply it. You have to almost learn the minimum necessary yes, apply we, it learn yes, iterate yes learn the
1: next step it's a step by step process yes. yes some take to it very fast right there are some who are a bit slow some mm. don't have that inclination towards uh, coding at all yeah but there are some crossovers so the more problems they solve then they like it you know that sense of achievement is there yeah. even if it's a small you know addition or subtraction uh, program they write they see the result and they, they click it, they've they built a calculator, a very simple calculator. Fantastic. So that, that kind of, you know, uh, gets them more uh, interested.
0: Is there an initial sort of push there to get people through the fear of making a mistake that, you know, you have to write a piece of code and often everything you write, it's buggy that's yeah. the nature of coding it's yes. not perfect you start with something small correct. and then you build it up i mean i'm sure the listeners who may come from that world will purely understand but yeah. it's a mindset isn't it and you you have to force yourself to make mistakes to yes. learn the
1: first try nothing works yeah then you keep looking for errors and correcting it so it's a kind of learning for them hmm. learning from failures as we Absolutely. say so you fail every time and then you go go back and correct your mistakes till you get the final output
0: yeah Exactly. So and some,
1: some kids really enjoy that. Hmm. They enjoy the process of correcting and debugging their program. So they're ready to take up any challenge, any kind of questions they want, more challenges.
0: Hmm. Is there is there sort of a bigger value in learning, for example, something like coding, hmm. rather than just being a coder or a programmer or software engineer? Hmm. That whole process, that mindset that they learn in doing that in an iterative process where th- does that apply to the wider world i
1: think it's problem solving basically it could be a very simple problem that you give them like find uh, a sum of 50 that's how we start you know find the sum of the first 50 numbers hmm. so they go step by step you know there's some variables that keep track there's some variables that do the totaling so you, i mean that gives them a sense of you know how do you go step by step yeah. problem solving
0: it gives them confidence, doesn't Give it? Give them confidence. That they can then try something a little bit more challenging. Yeah, yes. The next step, Correct. right? Correct,
1: next step. They want a more complex problem to solve then.
0: How does a botanist apply their skills to something? like that? What does a botanist know about coding or teaching coding?
1: Mm-hmm. At that point, I didn't know when I was actually doing botany. I didn't know anything about coding. Yeah. Now I'm out of touch. But when I started in GIS, I taught science, primary science mm-hmm. for a few years. Then I it came in. Um, you know that knowledge came in very handy, mm. so I enjoyed that as well as a science teacher to the primary students. That's when you know they're very inquisitive, they're full of questions, and um, and it's science is what's around you. So th- I mean, I really enjoyed that uh, process of you know teaching science to the kids. Mm. Being a science teacher as well.
0: It's a passion, isn't it, for the world and yes. curiosity. Yes, yeah, and I think it's so that
1: Primary kids are very, very curious. Yeah, so they make you go back and learn more and more things. Well,
0: what happens do you feel in traditional education? And I say that maybe we come from a world where we were educated in a little bit different way, which was you had that passion and curiosity. Yet you went into education, and up to a certain point, maybe to the, you know the primary, mm. that was nurtured. But as you then kicked into exams and testing, that was all sort of, you know, moved out of the curriculum. And what was going on there? Why why did we not harness that passion and curiosity of students back in those days?
1: I think we became more focused into exams, as you said, because to get into a good university, your grades in school was important. Mm. And to get a, you know, to make a good career out of you know, uh, then your degree was important, which university you went to, what, you're an engineer or a doctor or a chartered accountant, those things were important. So, uh, at a certain age, you know, uh, this academics became a focus. The rest of them would take a back seat, so focus on your studies, your exams and all that. I think those things are changing nowadays.
0: Mm. Yeah.
1: So, parents want an all-round uh, development for their children.
0: Yeah, society wants that. Yes. Right? We need it, right? Yes. Yes. Considering all the challenges we're facing these days, we in need it. people who can think on those yeah. terms. Who, who may not have the answer straight away, but just good at asking questions. Yes. And one of the things you you teach her, or two of the things you teach her, is entrepreneurship and innovation. Mm-hmm. And I in don't the,
1: I don't teach entrepreneurship. You manage the courses. I manage the courses. Okay. We we have experts coming in, so I basically coordinate. You know, get them to come to our campus. I get students to sign up for those classes yeah and then I I organize the whole thing
0: do the students understand what they're getting into when you talk about entrepreneurship and innovation those classes hmm. do, what's their sort of natural response is it something they're excited by or they have to be shown what it oh, is oh yes
1: students are very excited about it and these classes usually happen outside school hours hmm. after uh, maybe over a weekend or once you know the school closes and the holidays are about to begin so we have the classes during that time so their studies are not affected the students are very enthusiastic and we've had um, five six batches of students who've hmm. gone through these classes and uh, uh, you know there's a lot of interaction between the students so more and more want to take part in these um, classes
0: now what how do you teach that how do you t- is it from a book or you um, say it's outside actually of?
1: we, we right. have this uh, expert who's a professor from INSEAD. Hmm. Um, is a tailor-made course for our school. So, he takes through the students through, uh, you know, the process of ideation and what is the value proposition, the entire thing. Um, students from 9 to 12 usually. Nine
0: years old? Uh, no, n- grade oh, 9. Grade 9, yeah. So, they do what, 13, still, 14, yeah. Yeah so you're so teaching value to, propositions and yes ideation? yes
1: and finally the the it's a 2 day boot camp so yeah. the, it ends with a presentation to the investors there are two judges sitting there as investor and they do that elevator pitching yeah. and all that. so they learn all that at that age and they come up with great ideas and i mean it's a very uh, enriching process oh, for yeah. the students
0: yeah it's end to end as well yes H- how do you find the the younger ones in that process as well because they probably have the least uh, business context or experience. They have probably never works. Mm-hmm. They they probably never touched or used money on a daily basis. And so if they're sort of grade nine, and you're talking about value propositions and ideation, how do they take to it?
1: I think the, the course is structured in such a way. When they start, you know, they're very apprehensive. They don't know what is it. Then uh, there's a step-by-step uh, lesson that they're taken through. And at every step, they, are exp- uh, you know, they explain what the concept is about. Yeah. And then they're always working in a group. So then the group is usually, there's a younger one and it's a mixed group of different age groups.
0: Right, that's good. So they
1: get into the whole, it's like yeah. a game. There, especially the younger ones, it's like a game. The last boot camp we had, there were more of grade 8s. We opened it down to uh, grade 8 also. So for them, it was more like a game. They came up with very interesting apps that they wanted to make. And
0: Tell me, what did they come up with? Well, Have they come up with any unicorns? <laughs> yep.
1: No, there was one group that wanted to work with uh, animals. Yeah. They want to, um, you know, take care of uh, stray animals or people who want to, uh, you know, they're going out and they want their animals to be taken care of, the pets to be taken care of for mm. a while. So it was uh, an application that would connect such... Uh, pet owners,
0: hmm. and did they actually build it? Is uh, just at the idea no, it, stage? it was just the idea, right, and then they have to pitch that to they had
1: to pitch that yes
0: to the investor,
1: yeah, and for us, you know, as teachers, we see our students the leader of this particular group was a child who was very, very um low in confidence when she joined our school, mm. so she she just didn't uh, want to continue school when she actually joined in because she moved in from another country. But when we saw her leading that group and pitching her idea to the judges and all the parents sitting there and watching her, I mean, it was a great transformation that we saw from what she was when she joined the school and what she had become.
0: It makes you wonder, doesn't it, about those kind of students as well who maybe have real… Talent, yes, maybe unrealized talent unrealized as well, talent, and yes. maybe it doesn't quite fit into the traditional model of of academic education. Yes, and yes. yet, you found this outlet for them now,
1: Correct.
0: and maybe for them, there's a self-realization. Actually, I'm really good at something, and all this while, I wasn't. I was maybe average, or maybe they were good, and they just kind of didn't fit into the books and Correct. the traditional style of learning.
1: Yeah, it's just a finding that niche, that spark,
0: right. and yeah. then the
1: opportunity, and then you. Yeah. Spot the talent.
0: That must be rewarding for you. Yes, that yes, as well. yes,
1: yes. It's very uh, gratifying to see our children uh, grow up like that. When I joined the school, I taught class grade one, mm. um, one batch of grade one. They are now in grade twelve. They're going to pass out of the school. Right. So it's like
0: you've seen. I'm very
1: happy to see the end to end. Yeah,
0: yeah. And then when they take those skills out into the world of work, what? How does that manifest now? Because entrepreneurship, for example, it's talked a lot about in business, not just for startups, but also in large corporates as well. You know, the kind of conversations people are having are, how do we become more innovative? How do we take more risk? How does that now translate into what you're doing here? How is that preparing people for that world? Is it, you know, reflected in qualifications or is it a certain mindset or maybe some skills that they can list?
1: I think it's a combination of everything. It's a a skill that they acquire during their school uh, years through all the programs that we have and the confidence they get. And then how they use it once they leave the school, once they join the university and in the workforce, how they're able to use the skills that they've learned over the years Mm. and the confidence they have. Plus, I think we also want them to be um, very conscious of the community they live in and what they can give back right. to the community. So yeah. I think that that's what our students carry when they leave the school.
0: There's a mindset there, isn't there, about, yeah. you know, just not in the workplace, but also mm. in community, that somebody else is going to solve the problem. Yeah, and that's like, what we've been taught for years and years, yeah. is that you've culturally waited until you were picked, mm. often by a teacher and then maybe by an employer. Mm-hmm. And then maybe by a boss to Correct. solve a problem, you're going to do this and mm-hmm. we're going to solve this problem. Yet now, we are training students to pick themselves. Yes. And so, if there's a problem, fix it. Somebody Correct. else is going to… Find
1: gonna, the problem to fix right. it. It's not even give them a problem. We ask yeah. them to find the problem and then find a solution for it.
0: Yeah. And how does that, I mean, what kind of things are they thinking about when you talk about that? I mean, society, I mean, you talked about, for example, the animals and the mm-hmm. pets, for example. Are they naturally now seeking out problems and coming back with them and saying, like, how do we fix this? Are they creating stuff outside of these, these classes? And are they involved in projects around these?
1: Yeah, they, I can give you a few examples. There's one uh, group that developed a device called a self-watering plant. So
0: self-watering plant.
1: Yeah, so it, it's for, you know, people in the urban areas, like Singapore. We go out on holidays, we have plants in our balcony. And when we go out on holidays, the plants die by the time you come back because it's not watered. So he's found a device, you know, used an Arduino chip and uh, connected it to a motor. Mm. So And there's a moisture sensor. So when there's moisture level in the soil goes down, the motor, you know, kicks in and waters the plant. So, it's actually a device that he made. It was a working model. And, you know, so they, they can think beyond their classroom. Mm-hmm. So, this is a problem that he identified. And um, there are many such examples. Now, uh, this year, he uh, the same set of students, they made a dengue protection kit. So, wow. this uh, he wants to use uh, AI, artificial intelligence, to identify dengue, mosquitoes, and kill them.
0: Okay. So is it possible?
1: Yeah. He's made a prototype of wow. it. He's working on it.
0: You can think yeah. in, in the era in which we live, anybody yeah. who's using AI to detect pandemics <laughs> or disease, yes. I mean, that, that's a skill that, yes. wow, that's so valuable now. Yes,
1: and the thought process, you know, it's not just some project the teacher gives. He's thought found a problem that's prevalent in the community and then tried to find a solution for it.
0: And how old was this student? Uh,
1: he is right now in grade nine.
0: So he's 14.
1: He's 14, yeah. So- so, this, uh, his team was selected. There's this uh, IIT in India, Indian yeah. Institute of Technology. They run a program called Young Innovators Program. So, his project was selected to be presented there. So, twice he got to go there with, yeah. with his…
0: Uh, yeah, it's fantastic. I mean, you can see if somebody gets hold of this and says, hey, we, we can take this and apply this to millions of people. Yeah, okay.
1: There's know, that, one um, uh, group that's working on um, um, hunger. In, mm. um, ...eradicating hunger in the world. So they're doing their bit. They wanted to do a a food donation drive in the school... ...and then the whole uh, coronavirus situation uh, happened. And people were hoarding things, you know, standing in queues... ...buying a lot of stuff. So we we kind of asked the group to halt that. We had planned it in that week. So we said, you halt for now... ...because, you know, the situation in the community is very Mm -hmm. different. We can't ask people to donate food now... ...when they're trying to collect food for themselves... But they were very unhappy they came back. This is the time we need to make people realize that they shouldn't be taking it. So they've appealed back saying, you know, we want to go ahead with the donation drive. So we're trying to uh, modify it a bit, not just food, but even other items like sanitizers and all that. If people have extra Mm -hmm. and they want to donate it to the needy. So uh, we yet to schedule the date for that, but we are working on that now. So the, the children didn't accept the fact that we said no. You know, they came back to us and appealed and said that um, they want to do it because they want to send a different kind of message to the community.
0: This is a very interesting discussion, isn't it? That that mindset, that as soon as they faced a little bit of resistance, resistance yes. a lot of people give up. Yes. And if no means no. Yeah. And that, you know, if the teacher says no, that means no. That's the line drawn. Yet yes. In the wild of the marketplace, Work and society, that's not how it is because those people that have been very successful in whatever Mm. they've applied themselves, Mm. in society, in business, however it is, they've always faced resistance and
1: yet they pushed through. They pushed through, yes. Because it wasn't
0: necessarily a teacher saying no, it might have been an investor saying no, it might have been a client saying no, all kinds of people. At least
1: they tried to appeal and whether they were successful or not, you know, they made that effort to come back to us and say, let's change it this way and
0: yeah don't you ever worry you might now have your hands full of these
1: <laughs> yes they're because they're be. very
0: now driven yeah how do you manage students like that because I imagine you know in the old days it was very easy yeah you stood up when the teacher came in the classroom you sat down the buzzer that rang that doesn't
1: it. work anymore
0: no so how do you manage them when they're very lively and th- they all you know if you say no that's negotiable in many ways yeah. and that's not just for you teachers as well and that's maybe for the parents and you know that if the parents say no yes. how are you going to deal with that when the parents say you're teaching my my children now that if i say no that doesn't necessarily mean no no yes right we so can how, how, there's a bigger conversation yes. now that yes. we can appeal and and yes that's what we need to teach them but parents need to get on board with that as well so how do you get parents on board with that conversation
1: i think uh we have a mixed set of parents, you know, some want their kids to be that way. There are some who are still traditional, who feel, you know, if my child doesn't listen to me, he's always arguing back. Mm. But I think we need to educate the parents to see the middle path because you can't uh, go with this mindset anymore that no is a no. You'll have to see both sides. Mm. I think we need to educate those kind of parents to understand their kids' empathy, empathize with their children.
0: Yeah. Very much so. The, the evidence is out there, isn't anybody who's been successful yes. in doing whatever they apply themselves to in life have thousands of no's before they get to the yes, right? And yes. It's just that resilience to push through. That yeah. is entrepreneurship, I feel. Yeah. that is There are the skills, but there's also that mindset that you can keep pushing through. Yeah. And that comes in some way. I mean, you've experienced it living in different countries as well and trying different things. That, in a way exposes yourself to resistance because you're almost like starting as a beginner again going up the learning curve right and you understand I'm going to face a lot of resistance here but this is what I chose right and it's teaching people that and not just the students but the parents as well this is a good thing right one of the things I know that we talk about in innovation is thinking outside the box Mm -hmm. so moving into that do students naturally think out of the box I would have thought the younger they are, maybe there isn't a box. I mean, what do you find? I mean, how malleable are they at that early age and how much of their thinking is already in a box by the time they get to grade nine?
1: I think uh, what you say is right. During their younger years, you know, they have no fear. And there's no fear of failure also. Mm. So they they want to experiment new things, you know, push the boundaries. But then when they reach that nine, ten and all that, again, academics comes in. And then they they're also growing; they're conscious of what others think about them. So that's when fear of failure comes in. They don't want to fail, and or others to think that they have failed in something. So that peer uh, opinions of mm. their peers matter a lot. So that's when I think they, um, you know, restrict or constrain themselves
0: yeah, from edit, expressing yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, themselves, or you know, they want to be in a group. Uh, that the tendency grows in that age, the teenage years. Mm. So they want to do what their peers do. They want to just follow them. There are some who break out of that income.
0: Hmm. How do you remove that fear? This is so important, isn't it, in learning? Mm-hmm. If you're fearful, you like you say, you self-edit, you hold back a little yeah. bit. And But if you operate from a position without fear, I mean, everybody has fear, but I think they sort of embrace it a little bit, yeah. learn to deal with it, and understand that that's part of the process. Dance with fear, for example. But how do you... Then work with students on that, inculcate these ideas with them. How do you make them fear, fear? Is fearless the right word, or make them accept fear? Or how do you get people not to be governed by no, fear no, in their decisions?
1: Not having inhibitions. Yeah, yeah. How, how does that actually
0: translate into the the classroom?
1: Um, see, one the the competitions that we have in school, there's so many different competitions. We encourage students to go for those things. And where they can express themselves, they can go for, um, we have this event called Real World Challenges Convention in the school that happens once a year. We've run about nine cycles of it. And we invite students from all our uh, GIS campuses. And we have about 13 different competitions, starting from kindergarten. They have a fashion show, then we have art for the younger ones. And we go all the way to creating apps for the seniors. Mm. So there are different venues where they can. There may be some who are shy; they just want to write an essay and give. They may be good writers. There are some who are very good, quick thinking. We have this competition called Transformation turncoat So it's like they're given a topic, one minute they speak for the topic, the next minute they speak against. That's good. So there are some really confident ones and quick thinking ones who come for that. So we, I mean, there's a wide range of events and activities we have in school all the time. Mm. So, we encourage them, push them to be a part of all these things. And students, you know, also, they want to get into good universities. So, they want to build up a profile right from the beginning. So, many of them kind of take part in as many competitions and events as p- possible and start collecting certificates towards that. So, we we keep uh, emphasizing on those things. Because we have, you know, it's a K-12 school right from yeah. kindergarten. So, I mean, lots of programs. So, if a child is here in school right in the beginning, they would have built up a very good uh, profile of themselves. Mm.
0: I imagine for you, one of the challenges is in all of that is mm. the university is probably moving at a slower pace yeah. than what you're doing here. But obviously, because they might be bigger, but, mm. you know, they, they, also have their entrance system their requirements and yet you're teaching all of these very important skills for life not just education yes. and school right and yet universities still have this system. So you're having to balance that somehow because I still want to get my child into yes. this good university. Yes, for yeah, which I you want, need
1: grades. <laughs> yes,
0: exactly. And I need to study and yet you're teaching all these other skills as well. Yes. How How does that balance? How does that work in practicality? Because I imagine there's, it sounds like they might almost be like competing for the time and the mind share of yes. the student, right?
1: Yes, I think we're all into multitasking these days. So when it's academic time, like now we have these intensive revisions, we mm. make them sit and practice and go over the academic things. There are parts of the academic year where we have a lot of events planned for them. So we try to bring in a balance. Uh, exam time, we don't uh, disturb them, not not have. We, after January, mostly we are very running low on events. In uh, But July to October, we manage all the events, You know the annual day mm. and things like that. So we try to... Uh, balance throughout the year that you know everything gets equal importance. Mm.
0: In the future, do you think that universities will evolve to more of the skills that you're teaching here? I and mean, we're talking about the school of the future. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's also the university of the future. I mean, yes. obviously, they're a key partner in mm-hmm. this whole process. Do you ever think about that? You know, that what will they be doing because they need to adapt as well? They need to take on what you're doing here. Is that Do you see signs of that? Are we a long way away?
1: I think university uh, scene is totally different from what we have. School is very structured. You know, we plan what's going to happen in a Mm. year. University is much more wider. Students have more independence uh, to do what they want. I think that the uh, educators must understand and, you know, open up avenues where, you know, students can plan their years. They're going to be there for four years They should give that freedom to the students to some extent to plan what they want to do during the four years apart from again. Mm. You know, by then students know uh, they they are grown-ups, they are adults almost. So they would know what they want to pursue. So to give give them some independence to do what, uh, you know, other than the course and curriculum requirements.
0: Is it your responsibility to lead them, the universities? I mean, you as the school? Do you think that they can learn from you
1: here? I think so. I think, yes.
0: Yeah. Because maybe in a way, they're, they're also a little bit fearful. Mm-hmm. I mean, naturally, that...
1: you know, the, That's the vision of the school, becoming yeah. a role model in teaching and learning. Right. So others can definitely yeah. uh, learn from our best practices.
0: Yeah. And then at the other end, you have the employers as well.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I know you're, you're well connected to the community here. That what are they looking for? Are they now saying, are they sort of interested in the skills that you're teaching here and how that can impact them? Because uh, if you're teaching entrepreneurship, I'm sure lots of companies want the people coming out of your school, right? I mean, because they're ready made. Yes. You don't have to then indoctrinate them or unlearn. 20 years yeah, of I think that fear. that's the main
1: aim you know that bridging that gap from an education environment and the real environment mm. so they get to see what's there in the real world when they are in the school at least they experience it whatever is applicable to their age group you know mm. what they understand so yeah i think um, employers will get a good set of students as they move out yeah
0: no i and think if absolutely. they
1: maintain that momentum in university nothing like it
0: Mm. I'm an employer myself Mm -hmm. and for 20 years I've been an entrepreneur as well it's always a challenge Mm. it's always a challenge because sometimes you're having to unlearn many of the things that have been taught even for myself but for people that you hire and you know you're you're almost competing with very much ingrained processes right and inside of or underneath that layer there's some real talent you've just got to pull it back a little bit right so I think it's great if a school can prepare people in that way that you're not having to you know fight with that fact that wait until you're picked or the fear of making a mistake for Mm, example then they come ready-made and i think not just for startups as well but for large corporations as well they're all teaching how do you think like a startup now you know and that doesn't start from day zero inside the four walls of the company that has started many many years ahead right yes so you're teaching entrepreneurship and innovation here and you talk about being a role model for learning Mm. what sort of connections network do you have with the outside world here at this school where well, that sort of takes place where you can actually take those ideas and show businesses what you're doing and connect with them and get feedback from them, teach them about learning as well.
1: I uh, I think so far, you know, all our students' ideas have been going for competitions and things like that. We've not taken it to the corporate level, but mm. I think that's in the pipeline. The leaders are working on it.
0: Okay. Mm-hmm. All right, fine. Um, what's coming up? I know you've got exams coming up, but I'm really fascinated about the these programs that you run, like the boot camps, the workshops, the hackathons as well. Yes. And what are you looking forward to? What's exciting on your calendar at the moment that you're looking forward to coming up here?
1: I think all of them are. Once the exams are over, and right now the focus is exams, end of year, in two weeks' time, this term will end. We'll start a new academic year from April onwards. So right from April, we have a lot of uh, events lined up all the way up to December. Mm. So boot camps will be there during the term break. So we'll have robotics or um, AI boot camps. Then hackathon will happen in July. Mm. So that's a one and a half uh, day thing. Children are given a topic to work on. Then depending on the level, you know the grade the middle school level would do uh, some video making or coding in scratch. The older ones would create an app. They're given a topic, and then they—they
0: they have to come up with a solution within the time frame. Yes, that's very yes. much like startup Weekend. Yes, right? yes. Where they here's your problem, or they choose a problem, and they have to come out with a solution. Yes, right? yes. it's very so real they, world. They
1: create very interesting apps, but yeah. they prototypes very basic things. But do you see they come that? Do you, you take part in that? Um, it's my department, the yeah. computer science department that organizes it, so I'm a part of that.
0: Yeah, there must be a lot of energy and excitement yes, around Yes, that. yes, yes.
1: Good. And they s- get to stay very late uh, in the school, and no <laughs> studies, no classroom. Is that a
0: benefit now?
1: So, they really like it, they enjoy yeah. They enjoy that, they enjoy the whole uh, experience.
0: Yeah, how exciting. Mm. Well, it's been a, a real pleasure talking through the future of school, the future of learning, and also entrepreneurship and innovation in education with you, Radha. And Thank you. I enjoyed you sharing a little bit about your background as well and your passion for what you do. And, uh, you know, I, I really feel that these are absolutely necessary skills yes. in the workplace. But whether you become an entrepreneur or not, you know, these are skills for life. Yes. Without a doubt. Okay. You don't have to be. I think now what's happening is that People understand that there used to be this thing as entrepreneurship as a career choice. Now it's a skill.
1: It's a skill, yes. Right.
0: Skill. And you can apply that to so many things. Like yes. whether it, like the idea of coding. It's like this is how we do in the real life. There isn't yeah. a master plan. Hmm. You just have to try something. Yes. Get feedback, improve, and then take it from there. Small steps. Right, and that that's so useful in everything. Whether you know your students become entrepreneurs or not, that is the future. They've learned skill. some skill, yes. Yeah, and they've learned how to learn. Yes, well. <laughs> yes, that's correct. That and you so have important.
1: to be lifelong learners. That's very important.
0: Great, Rada. Thank you very
1: much. Thank you. Thank you, Ben.
0: You've been listening to the School of the Future podcast by GIS. To learn more about GIS, our community, and our latest thinking, visit us at www.globalindianschool.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.